Hello, and welcome to this episode of Right Now at the Writer's Colony. My name is Chad Gurley, your host and also colony coordinator at the Writer's Colony at Dairy Hollow, located in the historic arts village of Eureka Springs, Arkansas. During this podcast, we get the awesome opportunity of speaking with writers of all kinds, of all genres, and of all levels. Today, we have the special honor of speaking with Vicki Make, who just published the book, Growing Up on the Gridiron, Football, Friendship, and the Tragic Life of Owen Thomas. Long before the dangers of concussions among NFL players made headlines, a nine-year-old redhead named Owen Thomas ran onto the field. Growing Up on the Gridiron is his story, a tale of friendship, the love of football, and a landmark case in football's concussion crisis. We'll find out more about the book, but first, let's find out about Vicki. Okay, well, my name is Vicki Make. I have been um, a writer um, my entire um, adult life, and probably if you really look back to my growing up years, I started writing even then. Really? But um, yeah, I you know I was one of those kids who 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 dreamt of being a writer, but uh, and then was lucky enough to grow up and do it. First, I was a newspaper reporter for about the first decade of my my working life after college I was a reporter for the Pittsburgh Post Gazette in Pittsburgh which is my hometown in Pennsylvania and then later worked for uh, a newspaper in New Jersey and after that I went into um, higher education communications and corporate communications I edited uh, magazines at three different colleges and universities um, wow. and 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 did that for for a good bit of my career and you know in addition to also doing my own writing yeah and your your own writing now do you always are, are, do you do any kind of like fiction writing or are you do you mostly write nonfiction I primarily write nonfiction okay yeah, I was looking on your website and you've just, you've done so much. I mean, it's really amazing. Um, and it's, you, you seem to be a writer who gets, who goes deep. <laughs> like you really, you go, you go all the way. I mean, you, I mean, you don't, you don't hold back any punches in the sense that you really, I, I think that's what really just, I was, I had to, I have to tell you, I've been nervous about this podcast, mostly because I don't really know anything about football. And I was like, oh gosh, I'm not going to know. I'm, this is going to be way out of my depth. I have no, no idea. Um, and so when the book came, I was like, oh gosh, I got to look, I got to read. And this, well, let's just go ahead and dive right into the book because um, it, how much, why don't you tell us about the book? Okay, well, well, my book, uh, you know, is, as you said, uh, Growing Up on the Gridiron, and the subtitle is Football, Friendship, and the Tragic Life of Owen Thomas, uh, was published September 1st uh, by Beacon Press, and I, I worked on this book for almost a decade. But did then you? I'll yeah. start out, yes, I did, but, but yeah. then I'll start out by setting your mind at ease a little bit about when you said, I don't know anything about football. Well, here's, here's the thing that's kind of interesting about this uh me writing this book and publishing this book so i won't say i didn't know anything about football because i mentioned my hometown is pittsburgh and if you grow up in pittsburgh it's yeah. one of those cities you know you're a Steelers, you're a Steelers fan right um, and, and, and so i was 
I was a football fan, but I've got to tell you that I never wrote any, uh, you know, people um, have asked me, were you, a, you know, they've heard I had a newspaper background and they said, oh, well, you were a sports writer. Never. Mm -hmm. I have never, um, until I wrote this book, I never wrote anything about sports. Mm -hmm. um, so um, that's, that's an interesting thing about it. It was really a case of um, me becoming very, very interested in um, Owen Thomas, the young man who is the focus of this book and what happened to him. Um, because um, he actually uh, was the son of a minister in a community where I lived for more than 20 years. Right. Um, I never met him, but when he, um, he died by suicide in, in April 2010, um, I uh, had occasionally attended his, his dad's church, and my neighbors were members of that church, so I was invited to join one of those Facebook pages, uh, those memorial pages that they set mm -hmm. up for people when they pass. Mm -hmm. um, and the kinds of things that people were writing about Owen on that page really caught my interest. You know, here was somebody who was so young, only 21 years old, yeah. really died tragically. And the things that people were saying about him, about the difference he made in their lives and the kind of person he was, yeah. I, wanted, I wanted to answer the question, you know who who was Owen Thomas, and how did his how did his life end in this tragic way? And then um, I st I actually started to consider writing a book about him. And about five or six months after he died, it also emerged that he at that time it's a decade ago at that time he was one of uh, probably the youngest and the first amateur player diagnosed with chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or everybody knows it as CTE, which is the traumatic brain injury that was starting to be found in pro football players. Right. So um, that became, you know, part of what this story was, was about. So, um, you know, the story really, uh, and then as I researched the story over a decade, um, the story really evolved to be about, um, why young men love the game of football. That is really at the heart of what this book is about. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it explores the relationships that young men have when they're, when they're uh, players together on a team mm -hmm. and, really looks at, and really looks at the importance of football, in, as I said, in the lives of young men and also in American, in American culture because yeah. it is a big part of American culture. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that's... You know, that's a bit about what the book's about. Um, so you so you started because you really wanted to kind of discover, hey, what happened to Owen? Because, I mean, he really, just some of the quotes that you read in the book, I mean, he people just, he was such a good person. I mean, um, and so you really started at this place of like, what happened to him? Was it, did you, did you know about, uh, did you find out about Ann Kelly, uh, Dr. Kelly's work in, you know, dissecting uh, brains and her work with Alzheimer's? Did you find out about that after you already kind of started writing the book or? Well, well here's, did... it's, it's Dr. Um, I think you mean Dr. Dr. Ann McKee, Dr. who's the. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. C That's okay. Yes. She's yep. a big CTE researcher and she's, um, so 
she was the the researcher when when Owen died. Um, the the uh, there's a couple of organizations very actively involved in in uh, research related to head injuries in sports, specifically in football. And, and one of those people had contacted Owen's family and asked if they could have um, his brain to to study and see if there was any um, link to their research. And it turned out that there was. So Dr. McKee is. Um, Ty, you know, is one of the foremost researchers. So I actually knew about her um, just by virtue of the fact that she was the person who performed the research um, on Owen's brain that determined okay. that he had CTE. Right. So, um, yeah, so that's how, I mean, that's how I found out about her. I, um, you know, she kind of came with the story, if you will, you know, she was part of the, part of the story. Yeah. Well, and you really start the very beginning, like you even start with, um, with Owen's grandparents and, and you also, some of the book, it seems like you kind of trace the way in which, uh, uh, football is ingrained in kind of family structures. Um, mm -hmm. do you, did you find, did you find that as you were researching this book, you became more in love with football or did you, did you view it with a more critical eye? Because this book is not just about football. I mean, at all. So I want everybody to know that I didn't know. I don't know much about football, but this book is not. It's it's it covers just. just it's a tapestry of so many different um, themes and elements. You know, I mean, as life is right. Um, right. Did you did right. you come away from it with any kind of feeling about football? Well, I, I'd say you know. I mean, yes, yes, I, yes, I did because I have to say that, you know, it's a couple, a couple of things. First, I'll say, uh, I'll, I'll talk about kind of like the more global thing that I found out about about football is, um, you know, one of the things that surprised me as I researched the book was um, Owen's friends, his his uh, teammates from both high school and college, his football teammates. Um, a decade later, the majority of them still really love the game of football. A couple of them even coach it now on the mm -hmm. uh, high school and, and, and middle school levels. Um, and that really, that, that really surprised me because um, they were really, these young men um, were devastated by his loss. And seven years out after his death, they would still – um, start to cry when they talked about him. So it was mm -hmm. the the biggest surprise in researching the book was that all of these people, in spite of what happened to Owen and in spite of the fact that he was found out to have traumatic brain injury from playing football, they all still love the sport. They, you know, they, they uh, and most of them are willing to let their kids play. Now, usually with the um, reservation that not till their their sons are older because one of the things they found out is it's much more dangerous for for kids like below the age of 13 or 14 it's much more dangerous for them to to begin playing tackle football but most of his friends say that it, you know when their sons are old enough they would be willing to let them play the sport because they got so much out of playing the sport right. and a big part of a big part of what they got though um you know, yes, they learn all the things about working as a team and having self-discipline. But the real thing that they carry with them are the relationships mm -hmm. that they had with with other young men. And um, it's uh, 
you know, I call it in the book, the brotherhood of football. And there have been actually psychologists who have studied this, that there are uh, in the growing up of young men in our culture, one of the really formative things for them is to be part of a brotherhood. And, and a, you know, a sports team is just one way that they can experience that. Maybe they're in the Boy Scouts. Or right, maybe right. You know, or maybe it's all the all their all their buddies that live on, who live on their street with them, and and you know they hang out and play you know play at the playgrounds again. Right, right. But, but but this is a really formative part of their of their growing up. So for these young men, these were really important relationships for them. So they have a very uh, a very emotional tie to the game of football. So so you know that was something that really surprised me. But you you asked me if it changed how I feel, felt about football. And I have to say that it's, it's impossible to do a deep dive into a subject like head injuries in football and not have it alter the way you feel about the game. And mm-hmm. I, I, have, I have to say that uh, a big part of this for me, it's mentioned in the book, it's not the focus, you know, Owen Thomas is the focus of the book, but I do give a lot of the background about the research about head injuries in football. And, and one of the things I talk about, you know, I mentioned I grew up a Steelers fan. Well, Mike Webster, who was a legendary Pittsburgh Steeler player, was kind of patient zero in the CTE research. He was the first one officially diagnosed with a condition they now call CTE. Oh, okay. and, and he really his life came to a really sad end because of what bad shape he was in. Um, someone once asked him, um, aren't you Mike Webster? And his answer was, I used to be. He, he, he had a complete mental and physical deterioration. And he was only in his, he was only in his fifties when he died. Oh, so you wow. look at that. Yeah. You look at, and that was a, that was a player. He was a player. I grew up watching in those Steelers teams of like the 1970s. Um, so, Yes, my my feelings about the game have changed because it just sort of, it really gives you pause about um, the risks that the players are taking and um, to, to to really entertain all of us who are fans. That's yeah, really, you know. Yeah. And yes, it is a it is a business on that level. It's a business, truly. It is, um, but just the same. It really it really gives you pause. And I don't I don't watch the game. Um, with as much enthusiasm as I once once did. So yeah, well, I'm sure every time you see a tackle and the rollover, you're like, oh, okay, whoa, <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, I played football in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. I guess I was 11 was when I quit, and I was like, yeah, that's that's it for me. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, not for everybody? It's not for everybody, right? You know, it's certain. It's certainly a rite of passage. I mean, I have to say, too, we talk about culturally. Um, you know, I don't know if you're uh, a native of Arkansas or we're, we're home with for you, Chad. But, I mean, certainly yeah, Arkansas, in the – Well, you know, and certainly in a lot of parts of the country. I mentioned Pittsburgh, and right away you knew Steelers. I mean, a lot of uh, – many, many areas of the South, it's just a huge part of – it's just a huge part of, of the culture. It's really important. So uh, I'm not surprised that you once played. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, my parents pretty much put me in every sport, hoping something would stick, but it didn't. But that's okay. Oh, well. <laughs> I found other other ways, other opportunities. Um, but 
but it is like, I mean, football is so, I mean, you just don't, you're just not born in America and not know football as a, it's just, it's, it's ingrained in our culture. I, you know, my brother-in-law um, and my sister, they are diehard Razorback fans and sure. they go to games um, with their, with my nephews all the time. And, um, and so it's, it's, it's it's interesting to me because it is I view it as inter, it is entertainment in a lot of respects, but then kind of as you mentioned before and also in the book, the bonds that are that are formed through that sport. You kind of as I was kind of reading this, I'm I'm thinking about how do you, and I think that's kind of the question maybe that you kind of had in here is how do you balance the. Um, the benefits against, you know, the potential for there to be injury, brain injury, significant brain injury, you know? Sure. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, and that's, and that's the real question. And I mean, and one of the things, um, you know, there's this, I, I mentioned there are organizations at the forefront of doing this research, and one of them is something called the Concussion Legacy Foundation. And it was founded by us. Uh, a man named Chris Nowinski, who himself had um, post-concussion syndrome, which is kind of, um, you know, that's that's just, uh, you know, a, a, a severe and lingering effect of, of having a concussion or a series of concussions. But it inspired him to start to, to look into this whole link between sports and, and, and concussions and brain injury. But one of the things that they are, are you know, talk very, uh, you know, and, and spend a lot of their time educating people about is, um, you know, not having kids play these contact sports too young. You know, he said to me, they focus their efforts on educating people about that and about having, you know, delaying the start of play as opposed to trying to get people to stop playing. Because mm -hmm. he made a... a he makes a really interesting point that, that ties back to that whole thing about me being saying that the game is a lot about the relationships. You know, he said, you try to stop um, kids who are already playing and you're not just taking them away from the sport. They're taking, you're taking them away from their friends. Yeah. So, yeah. and that's a, yeah. And that's a much harder thing to, to accomplish. So they focus their efforts on educating parents about not starting their kids too young. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not an easy question. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm here to say that people have asked me, do you think that football will eventually go away? And I say, I think things about it will change. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it will go. I don't think it will go away. I just think things about it will change and they yeah. are changing. Yeah. Do you feel like, I know it's, um, this is an extremely difficult question because it can't probably cannot be answered, but do you think that, that that was really the, the reason or the, the crux of the reason that Owen took his own life? Well, it, here's, here's the thing. If you read the, if you read the book, one of the points I make was at the time he died, the researchers were reluctant to say that, you know, he clearly was, depressed and had suicidal ideation 
Um, and they were, you know, they were saying we can't be 100% sure of a cause and effect. Well, in the 10 years since then, there's been a lot more research done. And one of the things that they do know is that the stage of um, traumatic brain injury that he had does um, make people more susceptible or prone to depression. Okay, and yeah. it also and it also is tied to to suicidal uh, you know suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation because um, I mentioned all the research that's been done. Some of that research has been done on soldiers who have had traumatic brain injury from being around bomb blasts, mm-hmm. and some of the research is from not this isn't just from football players. Some of it's from soldiers, and they have found more prone to depression, more prone mm-hmm. to suicide. So that they are much more confident now, 10 years later, to say very likely there was a direct link between the fact that he had had traumatic brain injury and the fact that he was depressed and suicidal. It's much more likely that there's a cause and effect there than they, than they could have been sure of 10 years ago. And how old was Owen when he started playing football? He was nine. He was nine, right. He was nine. Yeah, and um, and he ended up at Penn, and that's Correct. extremely difficult in and of itself. Um, on top of playing football, and so it, and it sounded from some that I read, it sounded like he was really I wouldn't say a perfectionist, but he was very much um, devoted to to doing things well. Um, and yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a, a different subject, but I found it interesting that fa- faith plays into this as well, in the sense that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, some of the families that are mentioned um, are, are families of faith, and, and Owen's parents were both ministers. It was, uh, yes. was she a minister? Yeah. Um, They're both ministers, yes. Right. They were. Yeah, and I really want to, I would love to hear more about your... Um, about you or your relationship with uh, uh, the dad, Tom, is, I think, um, because yes. that must have been really um, powerful. Um, but all that to say, did you find that there was a correlation or some, there, was there some sort of um, connection between faith and football? Um, and I'm thinking maybe in the sense of, um, I don't know, uh, you know, very traditional Christian values of, you know, uh, specific roles for different, you know, genders or I don't know, husband, wife, whatever. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Did you find any kind of correlation in that or was that not? Well, 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 no. So so let me just say this. I I don't I don't find a correlation between I mean, certainly. football kind of, you know, stereotypically goes with a more traditional, um, you know, upbringing, more traditional attitudes. But um, I didn't necessarily find a correlation between faith and the sport, but I did, I think where I felt that faith plays a significant role in in the story is, is in two ways. Um, and I just, I actually just did a, a, a book discussion group with members of the, of the church 
where Ellen's dad was a minister and where he where he grew up with folks who oh, knew, you did. knew him. And, yeah, I did. And and one of the one of the things we talked about, it's funny you should bring this up, Chad, because one of the things that I you know, I, I drew up discussion questions, particular to that group of people who had the unique perspective of knowing this family and, right. and there, that, that Tom had been there, you know, had been, he was Pastor Tom. That's, you know, that's who he yeah. was to, to these yeah. folks. Well, so, so here's the thing, a, a couple of things. We talked about how did we see faith manifested in this story? And one of the ways we saw it was um, in the kind of person that Owen was. Yeah, you know he was yeah. he was you know he uh, you know that, that that old saying about walk, walking the walk as well as talking the talk you know right everybody talked about how his his kindness toward toward everyone was one reason why he was such a, a beloved kind of person and there's a you know there's a story in the book about um, one of the guys who ended up having to leave the team and he would forever remember that. It was like he lost his family, except Owen always took the time to still connect with him and reach reach mm-hmm. out to him. And that kind of that kind yeah. of epitomizes what Owen was what Owen was like. But you know, so that was one one thing that reflected, you know, that was kind of faith and faith in action. Yeah. But then, you know, just the way um Tom Thomas and, and Reverend Kathy Brearley, that's that's Owen's mom, the way they moved forward after after his his death was um really also such a such a reflection of their faith you know kathy um this actually was something that ended up not making it into the book i i've actually talked about things that i wrote that that in the editing process didn't end up in the book it didn't end up in the book but kathy actually spoke at her son's um memorial service you know such a difficult thing for a yeah wow to, to do and and you know that's just such a reflection of of her um you know of of you know her faith yeah. both of them both of them their willingness to talk about what happened to help educate other people about you know some of these concerns about head injuries um was was just another example of how you know people were able to see them move move forward in faith after this great tragedy. So, yeah. you know, I def- I definitely think that that it is um it is a theme in the book. Um for sure. Um you know, impossible for it not to be considering who who this, you know, the people this book is about. Right, right. But yeah, I just I, I the perseverance um is I mean, th- what what you have to do, and just in just the way in which you describe describe Tom. I mean, um, what was that? Lo- I mean, you had you who had visited his church, I, but had you did you not really get to? Did you get to know him better through this process? Or um, well, I, I he's yeah, passed. I got yeah, he did pass. He passed. Um, he passed a year ago in May. Um, May 20, he died in May 2019. And um, I got, I I got to know um, Tom and Kathy and especially Tom well. I mean, I actually um, ended up attending his church pretty, pretty regularly, regularly, but he also, he and I also, um, and, and Kathy um, spent hours, you know, they, they gave much of their time um, to being interviewed for the book and supporting the project. So, 
um, he was, uh, Tom was just an extraordinarily um, kind person. And, and you mentioned his passing, you know, it was actually um, really um, tragic for me when I learned um, that Tom was terminally ill um, in the spring of 2019, because by then I had the contract to publish the book and I knew Tom wasn't going to live to see the book published. Um, so it but, was really, but you went and read it. Didn't you go and read some to him? I did. I did. I went and re I went yeah. to the hospital and, and read and read some of the book. And that was at the suggestion of, um, his associate pastor, uh, Chris Snyder Samuelson. I reached out to her and said, pastor Chris, I'm, so, I'm devastated. Tom's not going to live to see the book. And she said, why don't you go to the hospital and read some of the book? And I never would have, I don't yeah. think I ever would have done that because I, I, I didn't want anybody to think I was grandstanding, but I'm really glad. I'm really glad that I did. So, yeah. Yeah. He, he, was, yeah. A great, he was a great guy. He was a great guy. Yeah. Um, and. Oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, gosh. It's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> um. And, oh, I was going to say, and they are uh, ministers of the United Church of Christ. And I thought that Correct. was, and, and they're, and from what I know, um, a very welcoming congregation. Um, uh, getting back to Owen, um, did you, you know, no, I don't want to do that. Actually, what I want to ask you is, is this book, you write it so eloquently what I've read of it and just you kind of take us to the places where they where where you know parts of the book take place how did you how did you manage to do all of this and I mean I'm just amazed at the amount of research that went into this and the but yet it's not like a, a book of like oh here's here's you know what happened I mean you really you really tell a story um how, how, I mean, obviously it took a decade. How did you, how do you, how do you pull all this together? And do you put bits and pieces or do you start like, I'm going to start right here and I'm going to finish here? Or how does, how does that process work? Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's such a complex process. And I've been asked before, you know, how do you do this? I mean, um, part of this is, you know, this is more um, when people hear research um, you know, they think it's going to be like, it's going to be like a textbook. And I appreciate that you just mentioned, you know, that I really tell the, tell the story, you know, what, oh, what you beautiful. really have, oh, that's really kind of you saying, thank you. What you really have to do is, you know, I, I say it's, it's kind of in the, in, you know, it's, it's a nonfiction, it's narrative nonfiction, or some people would call it literary journalism. You know, what I've done is re, I've recreated a lot of scenes and moments based on, interviews and you know going to the places where things happened so I could describe you know so I could describe what they look like and it's just it's really just um you know how do you pull it all together I, I started to think really about um really about themes um and mm -hmm. what this mm -hmm. was all about and I wanted it I mean it is it is somewhat chronological but it's not chronological in the sense of uh, and you, you've read some of it. I, it isn't right, written in the way that, that a writer will say, you know, this happened and then this happened and then right. and then and then. Right. It's really, it's really um, kind of taking 
taking uh, scenes and putting the scenes together almost like a mosaic. Yeah, so that, yeah. so that it illustrates those things. Like my one of my favorite chapters in the book is the, is the chapter called Football Boys because that's the one about the relationship of the guys on the high school team. And what I really took was, you know, um, bits and pieces of what that experience is like for them, and you know, put that all together. Yeah. Um, in 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 uh, and and what I have to say, I did I did a, a panel of, of new authors, and there was somebody present a virtual panel because that's how we're doing everything now right, right. On <laughs> and somebody said you described the weight room at the high school exactly right it turned out there was somebody who was present who who knew that high school oh room. really <laughs> yeah and it and it was I, it was a huge compliment and i said well i i went to the high school weight room so <laughs> i i hope i did i did get it right but but you know that's i mean it's really a question of um organize it's organizing a lot of material um and you know it helped me a lot that i did um i did do a draft of the whole book uh at one point but um i i then later wrote when we were looking for a publisher i wrote a, a proposal uh what they call a book proposal and i went through and, and because everybody was saying of course you're going to have to do other drafts of the book so i kind of when I did the proposal, thought about what what I would add, what I might take away, and I mm-hmm. that helped me get that helped me get organized to have to to sort of you know give a ten thousand foot view of what this book would be like uh, yeah. for for a prospective publisher. Um, that it, it is uh, you know it's having a lot of post-its up on your wall and <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of no and a lot of notes. And I have to say, you know, we haven't talked about. The writer's colony at Terry Hollow yet, but um, I could have sent you some pictures. So I had these when I was when I um, stayed there. I had these um, like post-its on my wall where I was making notes of things, and I, I have pictures of them because before I took them down, I was afraid of losing what I had done. Yeah, send so them have, to I me. Have, I would love it. I would love to post I, it if I, you I, wouldn't care. I will. Se- I will. I will. Se- I will send them pictures of them on the wall. <laughs> there um so you know it's a lot of th- it's a lot of things like that it's it's a lot of things like that that gets you to the point when you finally have the you know the completed book in your hand yeah um, yeah we'll get back to our conversation with vicky in just a moment after hearing her read from her new book i'm reading a chapter called football boys from my book growing up on the gridiron football friendship and the tragic life of Owen Thomas. Um, this is about high school football players, and the only thing you need to know is that um, Parkland High School that's referenced in the chapter is near Allentown, Pennsylvania. Football Boys. The sun burns off the early morning haze, leaving a blanket of August heat hanging over the practice fields. The Parkland High School Trojans exit the locker room in a wave, trotting across the parking lots that separate the high school from the practice fields. Cleats clack on hot black macadam as they approach three descending green terraced fields bordering busy Cedarcrest Boulevard. Summer is short for high school football players. Less than two months separate the end of the school year in June from preseason practice in August. 
For the dedicated ones, there really is no break. The summer months are spent conditioning in the weight room to ensure being in the best possible shape when practice starts again. There's no room for much else. Working a summer job, maybe, or playing video games and hanging out with the guys. Those things come behind lifting, workouts, and eventually preseason practice. For players like Owen, it was a privilege to be part of the summertime ritual of off-season conditioning and drills in 90-degree heat. He and his friends had watched older brothers, friends, and neighbors play as Parkland Trojans. When it was their turn, they savored it all. It was never a question that football came first for Owen Thomas and the Parkland Trojans of 2005 and 2006. That's the way it is with football boys, Parkland cheerleader Jess Benner quips. Football boys, Jess explains, are bound by their love of the game and by their close relationships. Running together like a pack of sleek, fit young animals, they share inside jokes, play endless rounds of Call of Duty in basement rec rooms, and surreptitiously chew tobacco. Being a football boy was their identity, one that grew slowly starting when they played peewee ball. If you were the girlfriend of a football boy, you got used to sharing him with an entire team. Our girlfriends used to get mad at us for not spending more time with them, Mike Fay recalls. They'd say, didn't you just see them? And we'd say, yeah, but that was yesterday. The world of the football boy was built around rituals and rites invisible to the rest of the world. One of them, learning to chew tobacco, was part of the initiation for those playing on the Parkland varsity team. Mike remembers Owen's older brother, Morgan, a Parkland Hall of Fame player, tossing him the tin of chew one day in the locker room. Say, you want to be on the varsity line? You gotta try this. I put some in my mouth. Of course, I got really dizzy, and I almost threw up. Eventually, Owen started chewing too, and rapidly coined his own vocabulary to talk about the habit. The last remnants of tobacco in a tin, too much for a full pinch, became a taste bud tickler. In a maneuver he called the flip, Owen turned over the chaw in his mouth, reversing the side held against his teeth to extract the maximum amount of tobacco juice. Next to actually playing the game, good times in the weight room ranked high with the football boys. Located in the high school's athletic wing, it was a place for strenuous workouts and to bond with guys who are serious about football. The long, brightly lit room cinder block walls are painted in the school colors of scarlet and silver gray. A huge head of a Trojan warrior is depicted in profile on one wall, the helmet topped with a bright red plume. Another mural shows the Trojan in a full-body pose, brandishing a shield bearing the school district logo. Beside him, the years of Parkland state championship teams are emblazoned on the wall. Mirrors reflect the bodies of athletes working out. A sound system spews an ear-splitting soundtrack of heavy metal music. The first sounds of ACDC's thunderstruck fill the room. Owen, clad in his favorite Led Zeppelin shirt, leaped into the air off the black bench where he'd just finished lifting, his long red hair streaming like streaks of fire behind him. He and Mike stood next to each other, Owen strumming air guitar as he tossed his head back and forth. Mike followed suit. 
Around the room, other players paused between reps, grinning at their antics. Facing each other, they engaged in an air guitar standoff, faces contorted, heads jerking in time to the beat. When the next song launched, Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love, more guys joined in. Pretty soon, half a dozen of the Trojans' toughest players were engaging in imaginary drumming and strumming invisible six strings. A pause in the music and some of the guys who had been watching applauded and cheered. Owen grinned under his bright yellow bandana, catching his breath as Mike high-fived him. It was weightlifting, Owen Thomas style. The Parkland football boys' nostalgia for their time together extended beyond the moments on the field. The time shared off the field secured their bond and defined their friendships as the most important ones in their young lives. We look back now with such fondness, Mike says. As you get older, you realize that's over, that's gone, that little three-year blurb. And you look back and you think, how could three years matter so much? Those three years are so important. On a rare night off, John Zaccaro, another Parkland linebacker, sat with Owen on the deck of the Thomas's house on Jonah Gold Road, facing a bank of pine trees that rimmed the yard like sentinels watching the suburban neighborhood. Dusk fell, dropping its blanket of dark over the backyard, slowly at first, then more quickly as the sun lowered in the sky. The two young men enjoyed a moment of companionable silence, killing time before meeting up with the rest of the crew. Suddenly, the darkness was punctuated with a net of fireflies flashing like tiny Christmas lights across the pines, hundreds of them sparkling against the trees from one end of the yard to the other. Damn, do you see that? Yeah. They slipped back into silence until John's cell phone rang and they set off to pick up the other guys. They moved from house to house. Sometimes it was at Owen's place for endless hours playing video games. Other times, they traveled to Chris Funk's barn on Gaskell Road for beer that tasted best because they were too young to be drinking it. Their favorite hideout was the Zaccaro's home in nearby Northampton. The boys would hang out in a shed and in a gazebo overlooking the woods. Often they built bonfires. There was always beer. And it was there that the group smoked marijuana for the first time hurriedly extinguishing the joint when Mrs. Zaccaro came out to ask if they'd like some spaghetti. High school was a time, they say, of innocent awesomeness. It was a time to be football boys. Now back to the conversation. We were just talking about your experience at Dairy Hollow, um, but before, before, we, before I find out more about that, um, I wanted to ask you what was there was there a reason why you wrote yourself into the book? Well, that was something that I debated quite a bit um, about. And originally, I did not have myself in the book at all. Mm-hmm. Um, if I, I do want to note, I'm I'm only in the book in the epilogue, not in right. the. Not in the not in the the bulk of the book, and there's um right right. It was really you met. We talked a, uh, just very short time ago here in this interview about 
um, the, the passing of, of Tom Thomas, uh, Owen's father. You know, Tom had been really um, just so supportive of, of this project. And, and actually, the book would never have happened without Tom and Kathy, Owen's mothers and fathers, support and help. And so um, it was really his passing that prompted me to consider putting myself in the in the book. And I had a, um, you know, my publisher is Beacon Press. And by the time um, I was re- revising the book with, with an editor there, um, Joanna Green, I was working with her on the revision by the time Tom uh, got sick and, and died. And she and I talked at length about um, whether I should be in the epilogue and what that might be. And we decided, you know, we decided we wanted to talk about um, Tom's passing and some, some things sort of uh, in, in the last year or so um, that, the book, that the book covers, because it really covers, as I said, a 10-year span. So, yeah. um, so that decision was actually reached really to a large extent because of Tom's passing. Um, just, uh, there are, you know, there are some books where the author is present, um, through the whole, through the whole thing. Um, John Krakauer, who's a really, who's a really great nonfiction writer. Um, he, uh, you know, Into the Wild is a really famous book. A lot of people are familiar with, and he's, you know, he's, he placed himself in that story. Um, I, I didn't place myself in it to the extent that he does in that book, but there, but there is kind of a precedent for nonfiction writers doing, doing that. And, um, a a lot of it had to do, as I said, with Tom, with Tom's passing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just, I, just looking, you reading to him in the hospital and just that part of it, it just really, I think for me, it kind of brings everything together in so many ways. And it just, and makes it, I don't know, it just makes it personal and, and um, almost more poignant, you know, in some respects. And that's my humble opinion, of course. But I just wondered about that because in nonfiction, I, you know, a lot of people, there, there's a debate in that kind of, you know, putting yourself in or not. So I, I was curious. Um, now, writing this book, and so everyone should check this book out. Growing up on the gridiron, what's a gridiron? It's a na- it's a name for the football field, and I actually I you're gonna you put me on the spot. I've I've looked I've looked it up where it where those origins came from, but it's it's a comparison to a shape, and I'm trying to think of what the object was. Anyway, it, the gridiron is is another name for the football for the football field. Okay, and the, shape that the football field takes. Gotcha. Okay. I did not know that. I mean, I've always heard that word and I just, and then I was like, wait, what is this word? (laughs) Um, So it's growing up on the gridiron, football, friendship, and the tragic life of Owen Thomas by Vicki Make. And that's M-A-Y-K. Encourage you to check it out and please check out her website. Uh, It's also Vicki Make, M-A-Y-K.com. You, this book is out now. Um, but you do other things as well, because um, I was looking on your website and you offer workshops and 
um, different opportunities to engage with others in helping them write or um, or other things. Can you talk a little bit about that kind of that side of, of your um, of your writing? Sure, um, I've I've done um, quite a bit of, of adult um, you know adult non credit workshops in creative writing specifically in in um, Actually, a lot of my of my adult workshops have been um, writing memoir as opposed, interestingly enough, as opposed to the kind of nonfiction that my book is. I've done a lot of work with folks around around memoir and the personal essay. Um, for a number of years, I've partnered with a, a friend who's a poet, and we do a, a a weekend writing retreat at the New Jersey Shore mm -hmm. um, for writers. And um, I also uh, have, for a number of years, been teaching um, a class for college freshmen called the power of story where we talk about mm -hmm. how, how about how story is really and, and telling stories is really um, something that we use in a lot of different fields not just um, not just you know people tend to think of it as you know creative writing in English literature but it's uh, you know we, we tell stories in in many fields right um, right so that's you know that's some of the that's some of the teaching that I've that I've done, um, and and continue to do. Yeah. Do you feel like we we ourselves as human beings are living stories? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I just uh, I just I just attended a workshop um, that that Colum that was given to, uh, and it was virtual again <laughs> by Columbia <laughs> University. By Columbia University, oh, yeah. um, they have a pro they have a program in in what is called narrative medicine, which has to do with the use of story in in health in in healthcare. Um, but a, part of what we talked about is about how um, you know one way um, to think about our lives is about the about the narrative, about the story that we tell ourselves and. Um, actually, I mentioned that class that I that I teach for for college freshmen, and I started to do a unit in that class about the story we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because if you um, you know one of my one of my favorite um, people um, is Brene Brown, mm -hmm. who is uh, you know who is a, a social worker and who's done a lot of research about. Um, personal narrative and she's done research about shame and one of the things that Brene Brown says is that you know that that we have to own our own stories mm -hmm. you know the stories that we tell ourselves and we can also um, I talk to my students a lot about how you can change the story that you tell yourself about yourself mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. because you know it, it, it can be as simple as you keep giving yourself uh, the the narrative I'm not good at that, right? Um, but you can change. You know, you can change the narrative. Okay, I'm not good at sports, but I'm great at music. You know, that's right. changing. It, it, you know, that's that's an example of changing your inner. You know, your inner narrative, the story you tell ourselves. But absolutely, we're all every every human being is a living story. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's it's um, it's fascinating. Oh gosh. Um, and yeah, so tell us a little bit about your relationship with Gary Hollow. How did you find the Writers Colony? Well, I'll tell you. Um, it's interesting. I wanted. I, I've been researching 
Um, in, in 2015, I had been researching that book for, actually, at that point, probably been re doing research on the book for, for four years. And in fact, people, uh, I, one of my mentors, because um, I went through a Master of Fine Arts uh, program, um, and one of my mentors from that program kidded me that I was just going to research forever, and I was never going to write the book, <laughs> <laughs> which is a danger with a book that contains research, well, especially interviewing, because I really like to interview, I really like to, to interview people. So um, I decided I, I had to start a draft of this book, and I, I uh, had a full-time, I was still working in a full-time day job at the time, so I started to look into writers writers colonies and writers retreats and i uh, i'm a member of a couple of online um writing groups um and with members from all over the country so i just i asked for recommendations and interestingly enough Derry hollow was one of the ones that somebody put out and i mm. uh, you know i you know and i looked at i looked at at one's in Vermont and I looked at one in Virginia, but there was something about Gary Hollow that really, that really appealed to me. And also you look at your week of Springs and it's, it's just, you know, it's just like something out of a fairy tale really. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it really is. So um, I, I applied and was accepted to come for two weeks. Um, and, you know, I have to say too, for somebody coming um, I, I thought about driving, but it's a pretty it's a pretty long drive from Pennsylvania, um, right. and I'd be coming by myself, so I decided to fly. Um, and and I will say it's it was everything that I that I hoped it would be. It oh, was good. it was real. It I, you know because I, I that's why you know in the acknowledgments if you looked in the acknowledgments you know the writers colony at Jerry Hollow gets an acknowledgement because I don't know if I would ever have really gotten the good start on my book that I did if I hadn't had those two weeks of concentrated time there. Yeah. Um, and it, it was just, I mean, really, it is just such, and I've recommended it to other folks along the way as well. Oh, good. Well, good. That's so good to hear. I mean, the, it's funny, people will come and, um, and though, and I don't know if I've said this before on a podcast, but, Writers will come and they'll come into the office and they're like, uh, sorry, I haven't seen you, you know, for two weeks. And I'm like, listen, this is your un uninterrupted residency time. You don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to make conversation with me. You do what you need to do. And, um, and it's, it, it, and writers, I've, as far as I have found or find it really a productive place to be and to work. Um, so thank you. Um, again, and thank you for this conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, the book is Growing Up on the Gridiron, Football, Friendship, and the Tragic Life of Owen Thomas. I wish that, I wish we could, um, you just have to read it. And Michelle's already chomping at the bit. She's like, you have to give me that book back. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I will, I will, wait. Um, so, um, but yeah, so Vicki, thank you so much. I really appreciate you oh. being on. And um, oh, thank you, you have for any, the opportunity. You have <laughs> any closing thoughts or any closing words you want to leave us with? Well, you know, just, just um, if, if a story, whether it's, um, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I would just urge any writer, if a story has captured your imagination, because just because this is nonfiction doesn't mean that it didn't capture my imagination, because it, right. it did. 
you know, if a story captures your, your imagination, um, go for it. Follow, follow it. Follow it. Um, this was a dream. To publish this book was a dream come true for me after a long career in writing um, yeah. to publish a book. And it happened. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, we will end. I'm sorry. I, I tend to just talk like crazy. Um, did you enter when you interviewed all these people for this book? Because you because it does make it so um, you just do get so in depth in in life and just the way in which you describe these relationships and these people and even just the scenes. Did you tape the interviews or do you transcribe them later or how how does that work for you? Well, I, I actually do exactly that. I tape, I tape them and take notes because I've learned through hard experience that technology can let you down. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, no. it can. So I, and, and in fact, when I teach, when I mentioned I teach, I've taught college students, I really tell them, take some notes right. because something can happen and you'll, and you're, you know, it won't have, you'll think it taped and it didn't. But I taped, um, I actually didn't have that happen. It only happened with, one interview. Um, I taped them all on my iPhone. Um, so uh, yeah, I taped them all and did a lot of the transcription myself. I did pay uh, when I was after I got the contract with the publisher. I did. Uh, I had to go back and re-interview a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. And and as a, and so I did pay to have somebody help me do some of the transcription. But it really helps to do the transcription yourself because then you really remember what people said. Yeah. So yeah, you do. The, it's just so vivid. I mean, it's, it's vivid. Um, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm super honored and pleased that we had this opportunity and I invite everyone to go pick up this book. Um, thank you again. And, um, and thank I, you. Thank you. Yes. My, my pleasure. Um, have a good rest of your day. And you as well. Thank you so much, Chad. Take yes. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Right Now at the Writer's Colony. Um, on behalf of all of us here at the Writer's Colony, Michelle Hannon, our executive director, Yana Jones, our chef extraordinaire, as well as our amazing board members, we are so appreciate you listening. Thanks for your support. Learn more about the Writer's Colony at Dairy Hollow in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, by going to writerscolony.org. That's writerscolony.org. Until next time, have a great day.